Last week, we started our two-part series about Leslie Spellman, a young woman on a hiking adventure whose body was found in a garden on the island where we live in Maine, all the way back in the 1970s. And this week, we're going to continue the story with a little more detail. This is the story of Leslie E. Spellman, a Massachusetts woman who hitched hikes solo for the first time ever to Acadia National Park and never made it back home. So, hey, Shani. Hey, baby. Hey, everybody listening. Last week, uh, we posted the first part of our recap of Leslie's murder, and I kind of, it was a bit of an overview, I guess, and I, uh, neither of us really thought it did Leslie enough justice, honestly. Um, and it didn't do our island community justice either. No. You know, I didn't think so. I have a very high standard. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And we even have a couple messages. They were nice messages from local people who said that they remembered this happening. Um, They were little kids and how shaken up they were when the whole community was, when Leslie Spellman died here. And to me, that's the thing. There are so many spheres of pain when someone is murdered. I mean, when anyone dies, but murder somehow, it's more, you know, it's so shocking and horrific that people can kill each other. And, and, um, you know, that's the thing too. Like, obviously the first sphere is the person's poor family and their close friends and then their acquaintances. And, but then there are the people who find them, the law enforcement officers, like the whole local community, right? It affects a lot of people. Yeah, and especially in a small town like the one where Northeast Harbor, where in the 70s it was just as small as it is now. And, you know, everybody knew everybody and murders didn't happen in Northeast Harbor. <laughs> right. Like, at all. They think the last one before that one had been in 1782. Really? Yes. And the local librarian who's now dead, Bob Pyle. Yeah. He uh, he was a volunteer firefighter too. He, when he was interviewed by, I think, the Globe back when all of this happened, they are like, well, when was the last murder? And he was like, well, it was like, you know, 1782. And they're like, well, give us some details. He's like, I'll give you details, but I'm not going to tell the names of the people because their relatives still live here. (laughs) And it was just like, it was very, very sweet of him. But it was like, dude, 1782 was, you know. A long time ago. A long time ago. It's not like they're they're missing old granddad. I know, (laughs) I know. They already knew him. Probably never saw a picture of him, maybe. Yeah, you know, like, so, it's like, uh. It's amazing to me. Well, he's a very polite man. He was a very polite. <laughs> he was. He was a lovely man. Um, bless his heart. And so I think that, you know, getting back to Leslie, like the thing about 
that always gets me about her death is that, you know, it's really close to where we live. Um, her body was found in Northeast Harbor in this azalea garden that's open to the public. Um, and it's where our M, our oldest daughter, and I would like tromp around all the time when she was a little girl, you know, all her little baby years because it's so pretty and peaceful. Yeah, it is. It's nice. And she'd like munch on her Pepperidge Farm goldfish and she'd be so happy there and we'd make up stories and it was just lovely and peaceful. Um, Where they found Leslie was this gorgeous, lovely place. Um, The website says that it was created in 1957 by Charles K. Savage using plants purchased from Beatrix Ferrand's Real Point Garden upon its closing. And those are very famous um, in the flower and landscape architect world really famous people um and it's a very beautiful garden and then savage brought a bunch of the plants from reed reef point to the thuya garden and he like thought this huge azalea collection would be um really beautiful displayed around this little pond um that's kind of at lower level than the bigger thuya garden that it's attached to right like connected to philosophically though not by land <laughs> like the azalea gardens ground level you know kind of like just a little bit secluded from town right before you get to town edges acadian national park right but then the thuya garden is kind of like you go down the road a little bit and up the hill like the mountain a little bit and that and it's like gated and it's beautiful like it's like gorgeous yeah um so they're connected philosophically and by who created them but they're not like connected by land if that makes sense it does make sense which one was she found she was found in the lower one in the azalea garden and yeah and there has been confusion in newspaper reports and even people's reports about it but the original sources all say that she was found in the azalea garden. I mean, azaleas are these big, beautiful plants. They are big yeah. and pretty. Yeah. It's, I love the azalea. It's really peaceful. Like, yeah. like a zen type of Yes, it's like kind of modeled after, after Japanese gardens. And um, so that's where they found Leslie's body. And that's also where they assumed she was murdered and died. But we should probably back up a little bit. First off, you should listen to the first podcast if you only listen to this one. <laughs> yeah. um, part one. Stop. Go back. Uh, Leslie's death made the front page of the Boston Globe, which is a daily paper in Boston, Massachusetts. In the U.S., it's a big paper. Um, and I want to read a tiny bit of that article from 1990, 19, June 1977, right? Yeah. By Gloria Negri. Um, and... Uh, she basically, like, just, it's just like, there's like, oh, you know, the slaying victim was a Hingham woman. That's like the headline, which is the most... What's Hingham? Hingham is a town in, in Massachusetts. Oh, okay. And I always find that so interesting. It's like, oh, here's the one identifying per- thing about this human, this amazing human. It's like, oh, there's the town they're from. You know what I mean? like. Well, it's identifying enough to make people from the Boston area read it. Maybe. Or at least the people from Hingham. Whether they don't know or not. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that one said, State police yesterday identified the body of a young woman found beaten to death in an azalea garden here a week ago Sunday as Leslie E. Spellman, 26, of South Street, Hingham, Mass. Can you imagine? Nope. 
Also, there's a typo in the first line. Maybe. Sorry. I can't get rid of the copy editor into me. So, like, I don't know. I just think that's, like, so sad to me, like, that, um, you know, like, it's just like, hey, she's not Leslie in the headline. And, you know, newspapers do this all the time. Right. But she's the Hingham woman, you know? It just... They want to, to make they want to make you have to read it to get the name, dude. Yeah. But my favorite, I think there's this really brilliant and encompassing article from the Globe by John Cullen and Anson Smith. And one of my friends who lived here, who's now dead, um, at the time, he wasn't murdered. He remembered all the Globe people asking everybody questions. Like the reporters oh, the coming into coming the town. Yeah. 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 So this one um, is really... Uh, it reads like a story, so I just want to share a little bit of it, right? You okay? Oh, I'm good. All right. The summer-like heat could be felt everywhere, and the villagers, fewer than 600, were making final preparations for the beginning of the tourist season on the July 4th weekend. It was Sunday morning, June 19th. It had rained most of the night, but the heavy showers had stopped before 6 a.m. Early morning fog was beginning to burn off. There was a slight breeze swaying the pines along Route 198, leading into the center of the village. On Main Street, the weather-worn wooden storefronts looked picturesque in the morning haze. The green overhanging doors of the fire station were open. Over a door at the side of the fire station was a small plastic neon sign, which read, Police. Fire. Through the screen door below the sign, 46-year-old Ernest Combs could be seen seated in a chair, an old chair. Coombs, a blonde-haired man with a mustache, was a civilian police and fire dispatcher on duty that morning. He was alone, sipping coffee, reading the morning paper. The bank of two-way radio equipment above his head was chattering, but he paid little attention. <laughs> I think that part... Because <laughs> it's such like a dispatcher detail. It's like, only there after a while. Yeah, it's like, oh, they're all chattering. Right. Like, did you ever do that when you were doing it? Cause... Mm -hmm. Yeah, you just look for like... Your brain just learns to listen for keywords, you know. <laughs> yeah. And let the rest slide right on through. Like, Doo -doo -doo -doo. That's why they do pages. Well, that too, yeah. Yeah, so it says... Coombs knew that the island's policeman that day, Matthew Stewart, was home having coffee. That Sergeant Tyrone Smith was home painting his house, and the town's only other policeman, Chief Maitland Murphy, was out of town on vacation. Combs later recalled that it was like any other Sunday morning in the village, uneventful. A few people were strolling on the sidewalk, just glancing into store windows. Others were walking to church. Like any other off-season Sunday, the occasional roar of a car engine on Main Street would break the tranquil atmosphere that engulfed the small village of Northeast Harbor, a town on Mount Desert Island, 12 miles south of Bar Harbor. The clock on the wall above Coombs's head read 9.47 a.m. And it's just like, ooh, they're writing a novel in this story. Kind of sounds that way. Yeah, but you can feel like the... Also, it sounds sort of like Andy Griffith. Like, yeah, Northeast kind of Harbor is like just this perfect idyllic... I love Northeast Harbor, but... It feels like it's a perfect idyllic place. I right? can't believe that tourist season didn't start till July 4th. <laughs> Jeez. It 
just turned to that earlier now. So it's April Fourth. Right? Yeah, man. Like that's so true. Um, but I don't know. It just sounds so peaceful. Sounds like a very chill job for him. Like you oh, know. Yeah, I'm sure it was back then. So then, he has this black telephone, right? Mm-hmm. And it's on the countertop, right next to him, because you always want the phone within reach when you're a dispatcher, which makes peeing very difficult sometimes. I'm just going to let you know that. Well, that's why they have cordless phones. Well, they didn't back then. Back then they didn't, no. But he probably had a 50-foot cord on that bad boy. Actually, when I worked for Mount Desert, they did not have a cordless phone that you could take into the bathroom. Well, that was ignorant. I was a dispatcher there. You could take the radio into the bathroom. Gain into the phone with the radio. No, I became a very power peer there. Okay, anyways. So the man's... The man's... um, So he, like, answers the phone. He's like, police department, right? And this guy on the other end is super excited. I think maybe didn't make a ton of sense. I mean, has that happened to you? When you ever dispatched? Yes, of course. When you filled in? Yeah. Sean was a police officer, not a dispatcher, but sometimes... I dispatch plenty. <laughs> yeah, he does it. He filled in a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, sometimes when someone calls in, like, you're, you can't quite understand them because this is something horrifying that's happening or they're in shock or, you know what I mean? Like, they don't... They just don't... It's not what you would expect sometimes, right? Like... Right. Sometimes when people are so frantic, it almost sounds like they're laughing hysterically yeah. and joyously. So your natural instinct is like something is a prank call, but it's really just the horror manifesting itself that way. It's really amazing and kind of scary and bizarre how people, how we all act so differently than what you might expect. Okay, so anyways, he tried to make, Ernie tried to get the guy to calm down so he can understand and the guy's just like, there's a body, there's a body, there's a body, there's a body, there's a body. And Ernie's like, can you tell me where the body is? Right. But this guy's a tourist and he has just found a body. And so he's not giving Ernie the precise location, right? Right. And so then he's like, can you tell me where you are, right? Um, because this was in the time before cell phones. Um, and the guy's like, ah, uh, there's a big pause. And he's like, I'm... In a phone booth on Main Street in front in front of a fire station. And so he was like right outside the building. Yes. So Ernie's like, (laughs) just you know, walk around the corner and you're gonna see a sign that says police. And he was like, (laughs) okay. And so he walks around the corner. Um, and just a couple seconds later, the man, the tourist, Gordon Wheatman, and his wife Anne, um, and their two children who are 10 and 11 years old walk into the police station to talk to Ernie, right? They're from Fredericton, New Brunswick. They're vacationing. And uh, he had driven. He tells Ernie all this, obviously. Gordon had driven into the gravel parking lot of the Azalea Garden, Garden, right? Yeah. It's like 9.30 in the morning, right? They're, the um, gravel parking lot is off of Route 198. Um, and they... They park their car like everybody does. It's even so specific as they park their car on the left-hand side. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, they just started to walk down this crushed stone pathway um, into the landscaping of the garden, right? Because there's a little path to get in. And their kids are right behind them. And then he's like 25 feet down the pathway. And they see 
what they think is a man lying on the side of the path. But the man's face, the person's face, really, it says in the newspaper article is, quote, splattered with blood. So they're like, oh, that person's splattered with blood. (laughs) They're not moving. Our kids are behind us. Go, 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 right? Like, so they, like, get the kids back into the car. They're, like, in that, these poor tourists from Canada are in the parking lot, right? Yeah. And they're like, uh, it says town that way. Go. <laughs> so they, like, went to town to try to find, like, a telephone booth or something, right? Um, and they and so that's how they ended up outside the fire station, right? Um, but it took them a few minutes to find a telephone booth, but I guess back then there were more of them. Oh, heck yeah. All right. So, um... Coombs listens to this whole story and he's like, okay. And he calls the sergeant at home. He's like, there's a body on the pathway to the Astaku. And uh, they think it's a guy. So according to the paper, um, Coombs said, when I first heard the story, I thought it was just an unattended death. We get those occasionally up here or maybe a suicide. Nope. Never thought it was a murder. I guess because nobody's ever been murdered here before. So Sergeant Smith takes like less than five minutes, gets to the garden, right? And uh, while he's on his way, Coombs calls Stewart, another police officer, right? Yeah. Um, and then at 9.55 a.m., Sergeant Smith's like radios in. And he's like, it's a 1049 at the garden. And that 10 code in Northeast Harbor at the time, because they vary sometimes according to time and place, means a homicide. So they're all like, what the heck? Like, you know, I can't even imagine what that everybody can't was. Be real. Yeah, like I'm sure they were all in shock. And so then they um like call the Maine State Police, who's in charge of investigating murders for most of Maine, right? Uh-huh. And they get there um like at ten fifteen. I guess. No, they get assigned at 10.15. And then they call up all the reserve police officers in the whole town. Like, all 15 of them. And they're like, come in, come in, come in. We have a homicide. Like, it's very interesting trying to imagine it, you know? Um, And then this article actually quotes Robert Pyle, the town librarian, historian, and reserve police officer at the time. And he said it was 1789 when the last murder had actually happened in Northeast Harbor. Wow. And it had been two men having a fight on Somme Sound, which is a body of water. Apparently, the paper says, both had been drinking. The victim was struck on the head with a blunt instrument and died two days later. And the assailant fled the village but was captured on a fishing boat weeks later. At that time, Maine was part of Massachusetts. So he had to, the murderer went to Lincoln County Court. And convicted and was hanged by the sheriff. Wow. Yeah, so... That's short, sweet, and harsh. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, so, oh, and when they asked him about the names of who it was, he said, I'd like to, but you've got to understand that the families of the two men still live in town and for the most part have intermarried and know nothing about the murder. I guess there's only a handful of people who actually know where the man is even buried. Kyle said as he tugged on his red beard. Um, so I think that's kind of funny. funny. (laughs) I just like it's so typical of the sweetness of a main town trying to protect everybody else, you know? Yeah. From things that happened hundreds of years ago. So 
basically Mandel, who's a detective corporal with the Maine State Police, he's on the scene, right? He's like working for six hours, like half kneeling around um, Leslie's body, but they don't know it's Leslie then, right? And he decides that she had died from multiple blows to the head with a blunt instrument, right? It was just like super obvious, according to the paper and all the reports. So then the chief pathologist for Maine, a man named Henry Ryan, he said, yes, that's exactly what it is. Um, (laughs) And uh, she died from, he, quote, lacerations of the scalp and brain, fractures of the skull, and contusions of the brain. And Mandel believed that the blows, like the hits, happened um, from somebody who is right-handed, which is most of the population, you know, and that the first blow probably hit Leslie, um, like, on the forehead, basically right by her hairline. Yeah. Um, and that made her unconscious and also probably broke her upper jaw. Ooh, yeah. Not that it matters. No, it's all terrible. And so, it is all terrible. So she was wearing a beige sweater, a maroon nylon vest, and knee-length socks. Her shoes weren't there. Her shorts weren't there. But her underwear was on and looked normal. So um, at the time, the evidence from the autopsy, and again, this is 1977, said that um, all the other blows happened when she was already unconscious and and down on the ground. And they think she died between 6 a.m. and 6.30 a.m. on June 19th, that same day that they found her, right? Yeah. Um, They think she was killed there? Yeah. They do? I think so, yeah. Really? Yeah. Did they ever find her shoes or shorts or any other missing items there? They All right, so one of the big things is that she had no... And she also had a 60-pound um, backpack that yeah. she was hiking with and her dog. Um, and the 60-pound hike backpack full of, like, gear that she had mm-hmm. bought because this was this big adventure for Leslie. Like, she and her sister had been, in case you didn't listen to the first part of the podcast, she and her sister had been, like, in Vermont, right? hitchhiking together, camping all week in Vermont together, right? Yeah. And then for the... And her sister was an expert hitchhiker, had done it all over the country and stuff. But Leslie had never hitchhiked alone before. And this was her first time hitchhiking alone. And she wanted to go up to Acadia, where we are in Maine, and her sister wanted to go on on, for the rest of her vacation time to Massachusetts, right? Um, So they split up. They were staying at a friend's house, the family brought them each to a different highway and they went and hitchhiked alone. And Leslie, in preparation for all of this, you know, had bought and saved up a lot of gear that she bought in Massachusetts and all of that, her whole backpack full of that 60 pounds of stuff. Yeah. Just never showed up again. All right. Yeah. So there. Is there a reason you asked? Oh, uh, Yeah. Why would somebody be walking through the azalea garden with no shoes on and no shorts on in their sweater and panties? Well, exactly. That's very weird, isn't it? And I know it's probably quite hard to determine because it had rained hard tonight that night, but I still can't see that she was actually killed there. And that's why probably she was only 25 feet in because the guy was lazy. Like you just dumped her there? Yeah. That's really interesting. So, um... So, all the tests say she has not been sexually assaulted. 
All the tests say there's no booze in her system. There's no drugs in her system, right? And and she was like, uh, had, according to our family, recently become very Christian, like oh, really? more and more Christian in a mellow way, but like in a like I love God way. Yeah. So you kind of wouldn't expect her to be. And her family was very adamant that she wasn't a hippie. With like, because of course that's the worst thing in the whole world to ever be in the nineteen seventies. Um, but like you know, she wasn't like some. She was really, by all reports, like a very kind of straight edge. You, right. you know, so this is what you're gonna be interested in, I think. So when she was found, her clothing was dry, and the ground under her was moist, mm-hmm. which the state believe. Police believed meant that she died after the rain had stopped. And the rain had stopped between 5 a.m. and 6 a.m. Right? Yeah. Um, And so then, like, they took some pictures of her because they still didn't know who she was. Like, it's a day later. And they, like, start spreading it out to the world. You know, like, this poor person has been murdered here in Acadia National Park in this tiny town. Does anybody know who this woman is? Right? Um. And at the same time, they're trying to investigate. And according to that original uh, article, I was quoting by Cullen, right? A witness had come forward, a resident of the town, and reported to Mandel that he had observed a person pushing a dog out of a car at 6.15 a.m. Sunday morning. The witness couldn't remember much except that the dog had been wearing a red bandana around its neck. After the person pushed the dog from the car, the car sped towards Seal Car Harbor over Route 3. So where was the dog pushed out? Um, the man could not provide detectives with precise details about the car or the operator, but he remembered the location where he witnessed the dog being tossed out of the car. It was exactly a quarter of a mile from the Azalea Garden on Route 198. And where was the dog found eventually? I'll give it to you in a second. Oh, okay. But yeah, so that dog is obviously Leslie's dog, who she's hitchhiking with. And she and her sister, instead of collars, put bandanas around oh, their dog's necks, right? right, right. Um, so, like, basically, an- um, that doggy ended up being picked up by a cop. One of the cops in town. Yeah. And I'll find his name later. But I, I, he was like... Oh, here's a random dog. Somebody called in a random dog on Route 198. Also pretty close mm-hmm. to the uh, garden. They brought him into, like, the kennel because the doggy's shoulder had been hurt. Oh. All right. So, and the dog is, like, this kind of yellow terrier mixed, what we call now, what, mixed breed, but in the newspapers back then called a mongrel. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I know, that was kind of funny. funny. Um, but there's also one other sighting or potential sighting right yeah and um but none of them no no sightings can be confirmed but a gas station attendant on mdi which is the island where northeast harbor in bar harbor in acadia national park is and this murder took place reported to the state police that he had this memory of selling three bucks worth of gas to this guy in a dark colored older car with rust at 10 p.m. the night before she died, so yeah. June 18th. The article says, The attendant remembered seeing a woman, her face etched in his mind, 
because his eyes had become attracted to the dog sitting in her lap in the front seat of the car. He had vivid memories of the dog because he had never seen a dog with a red bandana around its neck. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. So the state police are like, and uh, Sergeant Pinkham, um, who we know, like they took this gas station attendant over to the kennel where the doggy was. Yeah. And they're, um, and didn't tell anybody else. And they're like, and the gas station attendant's like, oh, that's the dog. Really? Like, yeah, he immediately picked that dog out of a lineup yeah. of dogs. So it was like... Which, Does he still have his bandana on? Um, I know that he... I don't know if he did then. I'm assuming he didn't. But God only knows. I'm well, assuming he didn't. <laughs> it doesn't say whether or not he was still wearing his, his bandana. So anyways, um, listen to this. Okay. If that guy saw the dog get pushed out at 6.15... A.M., yes. Yeah. And she wasn't soaking wet. Right. She, I'm telling you, she wasn't killed there. Because if she was killed there, after the rain stopped, there'd be blood splatter all over the place. On the bushes and on the grass, on the rocks, the stones under your feet. So if they didn't look for that, they weren't very bright even back then. I think they are. The right. only excuse for it not being there is that it got washed away by the rain. Right. But then you know that you know that she wasn't killed there. Because her body was dry. She was not killed there, I guarantee you. But they also thought that she got hit from behind, like she was running away, was what they imagined. She was hit multiple times. Yeah, I know. Multiple times. It even says she was unconscious for most of the beating. Right. Which means she's on the ground. Right. Which further means that unless you're holding her up. The blood, any blood splatter is going to be concentrated right around her head and face area on the ground behind her. Yeah. So. That's true. Yeah. But anyways, move on. Okay. It's just so sad. So, um, so basically they're like, okay, she got to the island at 10 p.m. on Saturday night, most likely because of the gas station attendant sighting, right? Was here overnight somewhere, and they still don't know where. They've never figured out where she was overnight. And then was killed the next morning, probably by the same person in that car mm -hmm. that the gas station attendant had seen. Um, and so basically, like, like nothing. They just couldn't figure it out. They couldn't figure out who had killed her. Um, but they did figure out that it was Leslie because they asked... The Boston Globe, they were like, we need to spread this out more. Can you put this sketch in and stuff? Right. And her, um, her, I think it was her mom. Yeah, her mom, Betsy Spellman, read the story in the Globe in her Hingham home, it says, and saw the drawing, the police drawing of the victim, and she suspected it was her daughter, Leslie, 27, who had gone to Acadia National Park on a camping trip. The following day, Mrs. Spellman's daughter, Amy, 24, so her sister, right. accompanied by a friend, drove to Mount Desert Island with dental charts of her sister. And then by, like, June 26th, they had pos given a positive ID that it was Leslie. Um, and, you know, Amy told the state police the last time we saw each other was what we were talking about before. It was June 18th on Saturday around noon, right before we left Bar, Vermont, and she headed up to Acadia. Um, this is all the same year? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, they found... They ID'd her within a month. Oh, that's like, fine. I'm just wondering why that other article started off with the morning of July 4th. The whole town's getting ready for tourists and... Oh. 
they're just into it. Oh, okay. <laughs> they're like, let's write something fun. But she was apparently found a long time before July 4th, is what I'm saying. Oh. Yeah, that's very interesting. That's all right. It's okay. just a detail from the past. That doesn't matter, a detail from the past. So, basically, they... They they couldn't they like traced all these routes. They tried to find out where like anything along the stops from Vermont to yeah, and they just really they couldn't get anything at all, honestly. About <laughs> you know, there's a lot harder who, back then. The surveillance yeah, cameras. Yeah, there stuff. weren't surveillance cameras everywhere like there are now. There was no ring cameras in the front of everyone's doors, right? Right. Or at the gas station, like a gas station now, it's probably gonna have video. It might be grainy video. It might be video, the quality of a Bigfoot video. But they still have video, Definitely. you know? Yeah. Like, so, um, that article by Colin says, initially the witnesses' reports were important because police hadn't made it public, but shortly before the victim was discovered, this is back about the doggy, Scott T. Merchant, a reserve policeman in Mount Desert Island and the island's dog officer, so he was the animal, animal control, control officer, officer yeah. had found a dog wandering in a dazed condition around along Route 198 with a red bandana wrapped around its neck. He chased the dog into a small pond where he waded into waist deep water to get him. <laughs> and man, um, so they all like even before the gas station attendant guy ID'd the dog. Right. They were like, oh, I bet this is somehow related to the murder. Um. Like, this dog's shoulders injured, it's dazed, like, nobody in town knows this dog. And believe me, everybody in town knows you by your dog here. I'm sure they did back then, for sure. Yeah, (laughs) they still do. Like, so when Amy Spellman came up to Maine to ID Leslie, you know, she also ID'd Taylor. um, The dog? The the dog dog? at at the kennel and took him home, too. Um, and Leslie was a really interesting person, too, because, uh, you know, in her very short life, you know, she graduates high school in Hingham in 1968 and somehow is part of a bank robbery foiling. Foiling? She helps foil a bank robbery. Really? Yeah. Um, like, and it was an armed robbery and she was a teller. And, like, that was, like, a it was a big news thing, too, about her earlier on. So How'd she was, she foil it? I don't know. That's I keep looking and looking. Yeah. I can't find any <laughs> details about this. And it drives me mad because I really want to. And, like, everything else, like, you're asking about is just still missing. Yeah. You have a look. Like, you want to say something. No, I don't want to say anything. I just, I, I wish we could, like, read the old police reports and stuff. If we could get that, that'd be amazing. That would be just... But I think they're still closed because it's a cold case. Right. Like, there, like there's some sort of detail that they truly believe only the murderer would know. Oh. Like, some sort of information that has never been released to the public. Yeah. Because it's that pertinent. What? It's you know? Just, like, they just it's won't. It's kind of stupid to be holding on to it now. Yeah. Like, at this point in time. I guess the only other big detail... Is that when she left, she was wearing gray shorts, a red checkered halter top and shoes, you know? Yeah. And then when they found her, and she also had that blue backpack with like 60 pounds of luggage in it, um, by luggage. You mean gear. Yeah, but the newspaper reports call it luggage, which just really, I'm like, what does that mean? Um... (laughs) And isn't those, the backpack itself the luggage? Those you know? Oh, hey. They didn't know about camping. Um, 
But that when they found her again, she was wearing a turtleneck sweater, a nylon vest, underwear, and knee-length socks, but no shoes were mentioned in any of the newspaper reports of being one. And no shorts or pants were mentioned or a skirt, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so, and, you know, Spellman was like, Leslie was really short. She was, like, only around five feet tall. Oh, really? Yeah. And one of the newspaper stories by Christopher Spruce... I think for maybe um, Bangor Daily News, writes, the five-foot-tall Miss Spellman, who had gray eyes and a lithe complexion. What does that mean? I don't know. Was that a saying back then? Because it seems really rude to write in a freaking story about somebody dead. dead. They had a live complexion. Yeah, what she had an alive does complexion. Does that mean you got acne? <laughs> I don't know what <laughs> that means. Like, is it alive or alive? Alive. Alive. Uh, one word. Like, alive. Very interesting. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Yeah. And she also had a brother, Curtis, and she had a mom, Betsy, and a dad, John. Yeah. And, like, it's just really sad to me, you know? Well, that's, yes. And one of the big... Um, Upon death, that's the sad part. Very, yeah. Very quickly, one of the big theories... Was that this guy, which we briefly mentioned in the last podcast, um, who had murdered an entire family in Prospect, Connecticut? No, oh, so it wasn't not Prospect, Maine. Prospect, Connecticut. They thought, yeah, they thought he might have been linked to her murders, but his lawyer, he that was never proven, and his lawyer went ballistic on everybody. Um, saying he didn't even murder these other people right. and now you're linking him to this random to them because Leslie wasn't random but this woman's murder in Maine right and um why would why did they think I forgot they well they thought because um basically um let me try to find it they said okay so they found when they searched his car for the for, for the murders in Prospect Connecticut right yeah there were hairs in the trunk that were dog hairs, mm-hmm. and they were compatible with Leslie's dog. Oh. And um, she was murdered with the same type of weapon used in the mass murder in Prospect. But, you know, that happens. And <laughs> she also suffered repeated blows to the head from a right-handed person, and then all the people, the nine people that were that he was convicted of killing in Connecticut were all hit on the head repeatedly by a right-handed person. Really? That's a lot of work. Yeah. Like, and, um, so his lawyer was just like, this is all BS. This is like just, you know, assumptions. Whoever even thinks this should get fired. Um, it's ridiculous. You know, he's like, murders are committed all the time by right-handed people. That's right. Um, Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, that's a lot, too. The The actual murder in, in Connecticut is really horrific. Yeah, well, well that's a, another episode probably, huh? I don't know. Well, <laughs> I don't know if we'll ever cover it, but basically he killed, uh, he allegedly killed, and he is dead now. Um, He died in jail, Um, I think, in 2015. And he allegedly went to his foster brother's house. Yeah. They're all grown up now, but they were raised together and killed his wife and their nine kids oh. or seven kids Um, because, yeah. Why? They think because he was, his, the wife caught him molesting one of the kids. 
Uh, one of the daughters. They had a lot of kids, uh, and they think that. And then he set, he killed them all and set the house on fire. Gotcha. Allegedly. Yeah. There's some issues with his confession. He had a huge confession after 15 hours, and. When did he do that? Um. Like in relation to Leslie. Like right after, and he uh, um like the same summer. Oh really? I think so. But Let it me was after check. Leslie. Oh, it was definitely after Leslie. Yeah. And it was, uh, yeah, it was like this, like within a month of it. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, he had been in prison before and had kind of a record. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so. It's actually a very fascinating case for multiple reasons, but yeah. it's just so sad and horrific that I don't know. You have thoughts? I feel like this case today would definitely be solved. I feel like it would. I feel like there would be enough science but I mean, to solve it. Science and, and just... Surveillance. Surveillance. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Technology. I mean, especially like DNA and stuff. Yeah, I know. I can't believe they didn't uh, even back, I mean, collect blood and stuff. They might have. We don't know exactly what happened because we haven't read the police reports. Cause I know, but I'm just saying if they collected blood from her body, then it all must have matched her. Yeah. Or gone bad in the interim time and it was untestable. Yeah. And you know what I mean? Yeah. So. And I think you hit on the big mystery. It's like, where was she that night? Where was she actually killed? Was she killed there? Why did she have no pants on? Like, was she killed in her sleep even? Was she killed while she was getting dressed? Well, she was like, you know what I mean? Like if there wasn't an assault. Right. But she's not wearing all her stuff. Or did she run, like... Yeah, she could have run from somewhere and just got caught there. Yeah. Like, like out of the house real quick without putting her shorts on. Yeah, and if that eyewitness testimony about the dog is right, why was he heading towards Seal Harbor versus off the island more directly? Well, maybe that's where he lived. Or maybe that's or where anywhere, they were camping. Or, or yeah, like, so it's really kind of interesting. Yeah. I really want... My my best friend Grady, he was absolute a newspaper person. And he was absolutely obsessed with this case. Yeah. He was so positive that someone knew who did it. Well, the killer does. Yeah. Well, obviously. <laughs> wow. Somebody brilliant. always knows who did it. This is brilliant content that makes you listen to Dude now. <laughs> someone knew who knew it. <laughs> the killer knew. Um. Yeah. Hey, thanks for listening. Yes, thank you very much for listening. And stay safe. We hope we had better details this time around, but listen to the first part, too. Well, at least we knew exactly which garden she was from. Yeah, and that was important. That was embarrassing. That was very embarrassing. <laughs> Yay, thank you. the most embarrassing true kind of Hey, thank you for listening to the Dude No. Please be sure to like share and subscribe and tell all your friends what a goofy couple has this podcast and how good it is to listen to be kind be kind, be kind. yes thank you Dude,